Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And so Gideon was no different. He he had many wives, and he also had, it says in verse 31, and he had a concubine who was in Shechem. So he has his unlawful marriage from a woman in Shechem, and she bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And we're going to see in the next chapter that Abimelech is going to create a lot of problems for the house of Gideon. Welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Through his career, we see Gideon as a man who slipped from great heights of faith to a place of outright apostasy and rebellion against God. We could say that Gideon handled adversity better than success. Success, riches, and prominence brought him down. It isn't enough for us to begin well with God. We must continue on throughout our whole Christian life. Gideon, in his late years, had to look back to see anything done for God. All those works were in the past. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 8 of the book of Judges. This is a really interesting passage of Scripture. Matthew 17, looking at verses 1 through 21. Let's just read it, and I think it'll make sense to you. Uh, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. And you remember what happened on that mountain, you know, as they saw uh, Moses and Elijah, they, they were completely overwhelmed. Peter makes a fool of himself. And then finally, on their way down, it says, um, now as they came down from the mountain, verse 9, that Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, what then did the, do the scribes say, or why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah is come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And certainly, Jesus here is talking about uh, John the Baptist's ministry. Uh, and then the disciples understood, verse 13, that he spoke to them concerning John the Baptist. But notice what happens. So now they have this great, wonderful uh, mountaintop experience, and now they're going to go down the mountain. So they've had this wonder. I mean, think of it. Uh, I mean, to, to see Jesus transfigure before them and for him to just unveil some of his glory, however much of it he did, 
totally blew them away. And then they see Moses and Elijah speaking to him. And one of the Gospels tells us that they're speaking of Jesus' demise. They're speaking of his crucifixion. And so they're, they're discussing this. And so they're having this great high. I mean, think of it. They're, he truly is God Almighty in the flesh. But then they come down from the mountain. And when they had come... When they had come to the multitude, after coming down from the mountain, a man came to him, kneeling to him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic, suffers severely, for he often throws him into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out, and the child was cured that very hour. But notice what happens in verse 19. The disciples came to him privately. You know, they, they just experienced this great, um, you know, experience. And they said to Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast it out? You know, we just had this wonderful vision of you being glorified and coming off that mountain. There was like nothing we could, nothing that we couldn't do. You know, that they were walking on air in a sense. And he said, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be, it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. And so they have this spiritual defeat after this mountaintop experience. And, and that's typically what happens. Just like Gideon having this great experience, and then finally the devil likes to come in and just take your legs out from underneath you, totally discourage you. Maybe you fall into an area of sin again after God has given you months of victory of it, and now you find yourself dabbling in it again and, and feeling totally condemned, feeling like you're not even saved perhaps. And yet, if you're in that position tonight, and maybe even this week you've fallen into something that God had delivered you from years ago, and maybe even you had some confidence in your own flesh that, you know, I can do this, I can do this. And then, and then you get kind of walloped by, you get blindsided by this area of sin coming into your life. And, and um, these things happen. But the thing is, is we have to be on our guard just as much after a battle or after a mountaintop experience, just as much as before it happened. Because usually before a battle, we're on our face, we're on our knees, we're begging God. And then after the experience is, is, is you know, we've gotten the victory, we kind of rest, and that's when the devil loves to play games with us. And so it happens to all of us. And I've noticed it in my own life many times how the Lord uh, or the devil likes to do that. He likes to give you a victory, and then he just comes and he takes your legs out from underneath you through various means. Sometimes it's just discouragement. You know, you come off of a mountaintop experience, and, and then the very next day your hot water heater blows up and floods your basement. And, um, you know, you're... Um, House catches on fire, burns to the ground while you're at work, and you come home to the you know smoldering uh, flames, <laughs> you know, and um, these things happen. But notice in verse 28, it says, "Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted their heads no more." And that was that was the end of the Midianites, and the country was quiet for forty years. It's interesting. This forty years, this is the last period of time where there was peace like this in the Book of Judges. The last time they had this period of reprieve. And so, let's go right into verse 29 here. It speaks of the death of Gideon. 
It says then Jerubabel, remember Jerubabel was uh, Gideon's name, and his father Joash changed his name to Jerubabel, which means let Baal plead, because it was Gideon who broke down that altar of his father's that was used by the whole town. Uh, evidently. So Jerubabel, the son of Joash, went and he dwelt in his own house. So he goes back to Oprah. And so Gideon had 70 sons who were, in it, who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. And you know, it's interesting, even though Gideon wasn't made a king, he lived like a king. He had uh, this golden uh, ephod and he had 70 wives, which is, uh, which is huge. And he had one concubine from another area and it says, um, and this just really speaks of, uh, of polygamy, which we know is never a good idea. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that, God, that marriage was meant for one man and one woman. And whenever a man in any culture begins to multiply wives, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. Um, and, and there's always problems. As you look throughout the scripture, whenever you see a man with many wives, there's always trouble. It doesn't mean it's a woman's fault either. It's just that there's problems. And, and so Gideon was no different. He, he had many wives, and he also had, it says in verse 31, and he had a concubine who was in Shechem. So he has his unlawful marriage from a woman in Shechem, and she bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And we're going to see in the next chapter that Abimelech is going to create a lot of problems for the house of Gideon, and um, it's not going to be pretty. And so you can read ahead and we'll see that. But you notice the fruit of, of them going against, of, of Gideon even, going against the Lord's command. Because God always wanted for there to be one man and one woman. And these two shall become one flesh. You can't become one flesh with, you know, 70 other women. Or like, um, like Solomon, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, or vice versa, I forget the name. But either way, it was a disaster, because he had a 1,000 wives or a 1,000 women in his life. And uh, that created problems for him, because he tried to satisfy them all. He just tried to satisfy them all. You recall in Matthew, the Pharisees came to Jesus about whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, and Jesus even said, "For have you not read, he who, who he who made them at the beginning made them male and female." And he said, "For this reason, a man shall leave, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, not wives, but wife. And the two and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer." Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so we see uh, a flagrant disregard for uh, this idea, this plan of God. And these men knew that. Gideon had, they had the Old Testament. You know, they had the, the law at the very least. And so we know that in Genesis, he was very much aware of this. But disregarding it and multiplying like a king would, many wives. And, and, and I think this verse here, just to go off on a small little tangent, is a good one to write down. Because it's in um, Matthew certainly 19, verse 3 through 6, but also uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. 22 through 24, but verse 24 specifically. You take those two verses, and you might want to write them down in your Bible, because right now, as you know, there's a great... Uh, attack on marriage more than ever before 
in our state, especially uh, of New York, there is such a great attack against not only marriage, but against the family. And it's happening at alarming rates. And the church is confused about it, and they need to return to the Word of God. There's so many in the church and so many denominations, even around uh, us, that are like, oh, it's okay. It's okay to be uh, a homosexual. It's okay to, uh, to live in fornication. You know, uh, even a male and a female living in fornication, they're not married. Yeah, they're living together, you know, just kind of trying the shoes on, make sure they fit, you know. I mean, this, this kind of thinking is, is wrong. It's sin. It's sin, and God will never approve of it. And we need to have a backbone as the church to stand up and say, this is what the Word of God says. I don't care what any of you think. I don't care who says what about this. This is what God says. God loves people, and He loves you. And for you to go against what He, what he has designed to be right and pure and holy, you know, when you go against that, there are consequences for that. There are consequences there are physical consequences and there are spiritual consequences. And they compound on each other when, you know, these things happen. So it's really important that you, Christian, know what the Bible says concerning this. Because you need to share that. We need to share that and make no apologies for it, regardless of who we're speaking to. Tell them the Word of God. This is what, the, this is what God said in, in, in Genesis chapter 2. A man shall leave his father and, the, and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. The two, the husband and the wife, the male and the female, two of them become one flesh. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, not a man with many wives, but a man and a woman. There's enough difficulty getting those two together, much less having 70 wives and having another wife out of uh, an illegitimate wife, which he did, as uh, Gideon did, as we see here. This is verse 32. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died uh, at the good age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Ophrah, of the Abiezrites. Remember, the Abiezrites were just, they were, uh, was from Abiezer, who was a descendant of, of, of Manasseh. So he was of the tribe of Manasseh. Verse 33, And so it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel, again, they played the harlot with the Baals, and they made Baal Berith their god. So but Baal was a Canaanite goddess, as you know, and, and there would be all different flavors of this god throughout the land. And it was just a horrible, a horrible thing. Turn with me to Psalm uh, 106, and we're going to end here in just a few moments here. But let's read what it says in Psalm 106. Notice what the psalmist says, beginning in verse 34. And, and I believe the psalmist was thinking of Gideon and in this time of the judges when he was writing this. The psalmist here is, is writing, well, again, let's pick up in verse 34, speaking of Israel going into the land but not completely eradicating the inhabitants as God had told them to. Notice what the psalmist says. It says, they did not destroy the peoples. In other words, the children of Israel didn't destroy the Canaanites like they were supposed to, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. And we see that tonight. We see that it was a snare to them when they came out of Egypt uh, with the calf in the desert, and now things aren't getting any better. Now they're lusting after this golden ephod of uh, of Gideon's. And make no mistake about it, whether it's the Jews or whether it was any other people group, 
everyone would do the same eventually. So there's no people group better than another. So we, we have to be careful we don't look down upon the children of Israel and say, well, they would do that, but I would never do that. That's a really dangerous place to be. So they mingled with the Gentiles, verse 35, and they learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. In other words, to the gods there, they burned their children. And they shed innocent blood, verse 38, the blood of their own sons and daughters, can you imagine, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. You know, one of the Uh, interesting things about going on a trip to Israel is you see these pagan idols or you see these pagan altars and one of them that's very well restored and very plain uh, is in Megiddo and it was a Canaanite altar where they did these kinds of things and that altar is there today we saw it with our very own eyes and just the amount of lives the amount of young people who were killed on that altar to a false god is just horrendous to even consider and, and you see it with your own eyes, and, and it just makes you realize, wow, things really, they, they just, you know, people at our core, we are not good. You know, man is not inherently good. Man inherently is evil, and he needs God, right? And so, they were defiled by their own works, it says, verse 39, and they played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord of Jehovah was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred their own, his own inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the Gentiles... And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. And they were brought into subjection under their hand. And this is what we see over and over again in the book of Judges. And we'll see it even in the time of the kings and, and certainly in First and Second Samuel as the Philistines were always warring with Saul and David. Nevertheless, verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant, and he relented according to the multitude of his mercies. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? That even though they didn't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, God is very merciful to us when we cry out to Him in sincerity. And even if we commit the same sin again, God sees our heart at the time, and and He's compassionate. We have to remember that He's a He's a compassionate God. He loves us, and He loves you, and He wants to draw you near to Himself. But notice, for their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to the multitude of His mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. And so we see this horrible thing that, you know, the children of Israel had done by, again, after Gideon passed from the scene, you know, falling into idolatry again. It was going from Baal and now to this golden ephod. You know, it's, it really makes no difference. It really makes no difference. And yet God in His grace allowed 40 years after this of peace. Actually, it was 40 years of peace and then um, they began to after Gideon's death, they, they began to worship. And so, thus the children of Israel, verse 34, did not remember the Lord their God. They completely forgot about him who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, Gideon's family, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. And so that really ends this uh, period of time. We call it the fourth period in the time of the judges. And this fourth period was really uh, chapter 6 through the end of chapter 8 here. And uh, a lot of really interesting lessons, you know, that can be learned uh, from the life of Gideon 
you know, the least of which is, you know, how God can use uh, the most unlikely person to accomplish his will. He would use this young man to accomplish his will. And his faith wasn't perfect. His faith was feeble. And yet God would use him. And also we see in these three uh, chapters, we see the compassion and the grace of God and encouraging his faith rather than upbraiding him and making him feel horrible about himself. God was compassionate and did these miracles and and did these wonderful things to encourage Gideon because of what God was going to call him to do. And we also see what God can do with very little. God didn't need a huge army, even a 32,000-man army. You know, at the end of it all, he would have less than 1% of his army. Less than 1%, like 0.94% of his entire army would be the guys who would go against and get the job done. So God, you know, he doesn't, he can do a lot with a very little. He doesn't need a big army. You know, he doesn't need horses and chariots. You know, God does so many awesome things that are beyond the natural, or he does things that we didn't even consider because our eyes, our blinders are like this so often that we forget that he's doing something over here, a solution, something that God's going to do is over here, but all we can see is the battle right in front of us. How is this going to happen? I can only see this, and, and, and God all the time is saying, I've already got this planned. I've already got this figured out, but you, you know, but you're, you've got the blinders on, you know, and God in his mercy still delivers. You know, that, that's just how good he is. And we also see in these three chapters, here at the very end, we saw the dangers after a great victory, how we need to be so careful, so careful when we have a victory, to not allow it to go to our head. Certainly spiritual pride, the enemy loves that when, we're, when we are thinking that we are something because of what God has done. And so we have to be very careful. So if you have a spiritual victory, you know, rejoice in it. You know, it's good to rejoice, to give God thanks for it. But be on your guard and enjoy it. But never let yourself, let your guard go down. Because that's usually when the enemy likes to come in and discourage or even tempt you when you are at your, we are at our weakest when we think, when we are at our highest sometimes in our emotions. We can be at our weakest. And so something to be careful of, uh, certainly this week and as we go forward. So, Father, we give you thanks for tonight, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Gideon, and we thank you for the, the things that we have learned from his life, God. Uh, so thankful, Lord, that you have given us your word in regard to his life, that we can understand that, Lord, if you can do something wonderful and even great through this man's life, Lord, you, you're, you haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never cease to be who you are. And, Lord, we can thank you and trust you for what you're doing in our lives, too, Lord. Thank you for your compassion and your grace, Lord. Thank you that you use us when, we, when our faith is weak and we need to be encouraged, Lord. Thank you that you can do a lot with very little, God. And, Lord, protect us when we are coming off of a spiritual high, Lord, coming off some mountaintop experience, Lord, coming off of victory of some issue in our life, whatever it may be, God, help us and protect us, God. And we will probably learn that lesson more and more, over and over, Lord, as we as we go through this personally ourselves, Lord, help us to be aware of how the devil likes to lurk when we are feeling good about ourselves, or even when it's justified, even when we are feeling good, because it is good to feel good about victory, God. But Lord, help us to be careful. And so we thank you for tonight, Lord. Please encourage us, Lord, as we go throughout this week and encourage us during this time 
in our country, in this world's uh, history, Lord. Things are changing, and Lord, how we need to be more focused on you than ever before. Lord, help us not to let our guard down. Help us not to let our guard down, but rather redeem this time of quietness. Lord, please help us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.